0: I said, amen, grab a seat, grab a seat, and turn to Matthew chapter 3 in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 3, are we recording, are we all good on that, is that how that works, you are the man, okay, um, you know, I, I didn't know if I was going to share this or not, but I'm just going to real quick. Uh, It has nothing to do with the sermon, but I'm going to try to tie it in in some way. So I was riding with Chris a couple days ago. Let's give it for Chris Fossatelli, man. Just laying it down day in and day out. I was riding with him to go get our stuff for the service project slash uh, resurrect our tent. Whoa, the old tent died and the new tent has come. Going to let that sink in on its own. Amen. Um, Told you I'd get it in there, but we were talking about just like... The kind of high school students that we were uh, and the kind of college students that we were and how we would not want our younger selves to be in this youth group because we were just not. And I think that's true for a lot of our adults. I think they would say that about themselves. Like, I just wouldn't want the younger me in this group. And now we're helping lead a youth group together. And I would encourage my adults, but also I would encourage um, the older students in here, maybe in your quiet time tomorrow, just to stop for a minute and think back on God's faithfulness and, and where He's brought you from and how He's kept you and how He's maybe changed you. And He's done it through nights like tonight, maybe. Uh, he's done it through people in your life and maybe through stuff like what we'll talk through tonight. So we are in Matthew chapter 3. Um, this is the temptation of Jesus is kind of the, the title for tonight in your notebook for my type A's. Um, the temptation of Jesus. So, Matthew chapter 3, we're going to read the tail end of Matthew chapter 3 right into Matthew chapter 4, and we're just going to get to it, alright? Um, Matthew chapter 3, uh, verse 16, and we're going to go into chapter 4, verse 1. So, Matthew three sixteen into chapter 4, verse 1. And after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice from out of the heavens said, this, talking about Jesus, you may want to underline this because this is about to be very important, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Right into chapter 4. Then... So it's, so it's connecting, right? It's connecting to chapter 3. Then Jesus was led up by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus has just been baptized, right? Jesus has just been baptized at the end of chapter 3. Now he's going to be tempted by the devil. Remember, chapters and verses in the Bible are not a bad thing at all. They're actually very helpful. Um, but sometimes we, we disconnect the, the chapters even though they're right next to each other, right? Right? Don't do that with this one again. Matthew now, so we've been in John's gospel for the last couple of days, Matthew's trying to show us some things tonight, okay? So we're connecting three and four together. He's been baptized, now he's about to be tempted by the devil. But before we jump into that, I need to give you two important backdrops to this story, to Jesus being tempted by Satan. I need to give you two important backdrops that will help us see both of these things more clearly, and it'll help us understand why this is happening okay, it'll help us understand why is Satan doing this now, what's going on, this will help us, okay, and these two backdrops, if you're taking notes, okay, are Israel and Adam, two very important characters in the Old Testament, Israel and Adam, so here's, here's what I mean, let's do Israel first, remember, now remember back in the story of Exodus, okay, uh, go back to Sunday school, with the felt board and all that good stuff, if you guys even know what that is. Um, that's okay. Go back to Iwana, do your thing. Um, here we go. So there's Israel. The Israelite children are being killed in the book of Exodus. These Israelite babies are being killed because Pharaoh is afraid of a revolt of the Hebrew people, right? So he's killing all of the, all of the firstborn males, all of the males. He's, he's destroying them because so, he doesn't want them to revolt. Moses was the people's representative of God who was delivered from that, right? He's put into the Nile, right, in a basket. And and he's drawn out, he's pulled out of the Nile. That's what Moses means, to be drawn out. That's why he's named that. He's rescued, right? Then Moses becomes the people's representative to God and was delivered as a baby while so many children were being slaughtered by the king. That's Jesus' story too. It's the Christmas story. Remember, King Herod is slaughtering the Israelite children because he's afraid of a revolt, and yet this baby is miraculously delivered to represent his people to God. It's the same story. Now, this is where we're going to nerd out, and it's going to be awesome. Moses led Israel. Now, here's, here's what you've got to see. There's this popular thing going around now where we can just kind of unhitch from the Old Testament. The Old Testament doesn't matter. But without the Old Testament, we can't understand the New Testament. So we've got to see how the Bible connects together. Moses led Israel out of Egypt. And God said, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Talking about Israel. That's in Hosea 11.1. Out of Egypt I have called my son. In Matthew chapter 2, Jesus' family is told by an angel to get out of Egypt. And Matthew 2.15 says, out of Egypt I have called my son. This time, instead of talking about Israel, it's talking about Jesus. As the Israelites left Egypt, they went into the desert, right? But first they had to cross over the what? What was split? The Red Sea. <laughs> we will, I will immediately talk to the Sunday school teachers when we get back. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Eric, come on, man. We got to help you gotta help me out here. So, they, all right, here we go. As the Israelites left Egypt, they went into the desert. They first crossed the Red Sea, right? Before they go into the desert, they have to pass through water. Now, Jesus, thousands of years later, Christ is going into the wilderness. But what just happened to him? He was just baptized. He is passing through water before his journey into the wilderness, into the desert. Israel was in the desert 40 years because of disobedience. Christ is in the desert for 40 days because of his obedience. Matthew was written to Jewish people. They know this story. He's linking these two together. Matthew's trying to show that Jesus is doing what Israel could not do. Matthew is showing a Jewish audience that Jesus is the new and better Israel. He is going to bless the nations and lead them to God, which is what Israel was supposed to do. But they failed when they were tempted in the wilderness. Next is Adam. So we're in Matthew's gospel, right? Matthew, help me out. Let's see. If, let's try this one. All right, here we go. Matthew, Mark. Ah, There we go. We got it back. So here we go. So. We're in Matthew's gospel, right? And it's Jesus' baptism, then Jesus is tempted in the desert by Satan. In Luke's gospel, it's the same framework. Jesus' baptism, then Jesus' temptation, except there's one story put in between them. It's a genealogy. Oh, exciting. Genealogy just means a family tree, by the way, okay? This family tree in Luke's gospel traces Jesus' family tree all the way back to Adam, And it calls Adam a son of God. Now, at Jesus' baptism, what did you underline? God calls Jesus the son of God. He says, this is my son. And think about it. Adam and Jesus both, they really have no earthly father. Now, Jesus has Joseph, but but Jesus does not exist because of Joseph, right? Adam also exists not because of an earthly father, but because of God, So Adam was a son of God, and he failed in his mission. Now this new son of God has come. Jesus will start a new race of people, the church, and they will succeed in blessing the world. Adam was supposed to lead God's worshipers to bless the world, but he failed in the Garden of Eden when he was tempted. Satan knows this is God's new and better Adam, God's new and better Israel, come to start a new race, they failed when they were tempted, this one will too. That's Satan's thought process. So, what does this have to do with you? What does Jesus' conversation have to do with your life? Let's get into it. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. This is my favorite way to teach. We're going to take a couple verses. I'm going to yap about them. We're going to take a couple verses. I'm going to yap about them. You're going to write stuff down or fall asleep. It's going to be great. Here we go. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, it also can mean desert, to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Let's stop right there so we don't miss something important. And this is what we talked about last night as well. Jesus is fasting. He's not eating. This is a normal human fast so he is like you and I would be and are right now at camp he is worn out which is normal for us but don't forget that this is God understand that God who has no need is allowing himself to feel hunger for us the God who has all strength is allowing himself to become weak for us and most shocking the God who 1 John 1 1.5 says in him there is no darkness is allowing himself to be tempted by sin for us. Theologians call this the humiliation of God. It means that someone so mighty would become so poor and so weak. As you read this chapter in your quiet time, I beg you, read it slowly because you are looking at the humiliation of the Son of God so that He can rescue you. And He comes to you in this text, listen, He comes to you in this text to say, I traded heaven for hunger so that I could get you back. I traded heaven for hunger. So that I could get you back. God loves you. We say that all the time. But what does that mean? Look at me. This is what that means. He traded heaven for hunger. He traded everything for less than nothing. So that he could get you back. And now, hungry and tired, he will go toe to toe with Satan. And he'll win. Verses 3-4. through Here we go. When I find... There we go. And the tempter, this is Satan, and the tempter came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said to him, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. All right, make this stone. This is temptation number one. There's going to be three of them. Make this stone become bread. All right, let right, how do we relate this? Um, no one in here that I'm aware of has been tempted to turn a stone into bread. And if you have, you don't need to hang out with those people anymore, okay? Um, what is the big deal, and what does it have to do with us? Uh, there is no sin against eating. There is no sin against divinely creating bread. Remember, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He feeds the 4,000. And he does the same miracle. And he doesn't get in trouble for it there. What has Christ, and tell me again, what has Christ been doing for the last 40 days? He's been what? He's been, there we go. He's been fasting. He needs food, so what's the big deal? It's not about food. It's about trust. You may want to circle in your Bible and write that next to those verses. It's not about food, it's about trust is the key word here. Think about what Jesus has to do Roughly three years from this moment, he will be whipped and beaten and die on a cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood, asking God if there is any other way. This is his greatest challenge, and Satan knows that. Satan knows this. He knows that suffering is coming for Jesus, so he's going for the knees early. Think about the cross during these temptations. Look back at verse 3 again. And the tempter came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Notice, Satan doesn't just say, turn those stones into bread. It's not a trick. He's not trying to get Jesus to show him a trick. Look at what he says. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. God just called Jesus his son at his baptism. This is my son. You need to listen to my son. Now Satan wants to use that truth, that he is God's son. He wants to take that truth and use it against Jesus. He's saying, this is is what he's saying. Turn these stones into bread. I know you're hungry. You shouldn't have to suffer hunger You shouldn't have to suffer at all. You're the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, stop suffering. You can end your suffering anytime you want. Just turn the stones into bread. Uh, I'm one of these sickos. Please don't email me. I like to run just to do it. There's no, I asked Kristen to go on a run with me one time when we were dating. Verbatim, she goes, Why? Are there bears? Like uh, to be chasing me? She's not down with that. But I like to run. I do, and while I'm running, especially in heat, I try never to stop and walk. And you don't have to be a runner to understand why. Because what happens when you stop one time? It becomes so much easier to what? To stop again and again and again. Now go back to this temptation. The cross is coming. Jesus knows it. Satan knows it. The cross is coming. This deep suffering is coming. And John ten eighteen. It's the most boss verse in the Bible. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own will. John 10, 18. Meaning, no one can force Jesus onto the cross. Listen, so no one can force him to stay up there. If he decides he doesn't want to do it anymore, he can stop. Now, all Satan has to do here, three years beforehand, is plant that seed. You're hungry. You're suffering. You can stop this. Three years later. You're suffering on a cross. You can stop this. Satan is saying. All I have to do right now. Is convince him. All I have to do is plant that seed in his heart. That he doesn't have to suffer. If he doesn't want to. All I have to do. Is get him to stop one time. And then he'll stop again and again and again. And then when the cross becomes awful, he'll just get off. All I have to do is make Jesus the kind of person that will stop when it gets difficult. That's the temptation here. It's getting difficult. You're suffering. You can end your... You can stop running anytime you want. No one's making you. You can stop this suffering anytime you want. And look at verse 4. Look at what Christ responds with. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. All right, bread. This is the staple of their diet. This is the lowest, most basic piece of food that they need. They ate bread every day. They depended on it every day. And right now, he doesn't have it. When the things in life... That we depend on the most. The things that make up the very fabric of our lives. When they get taken from. When this thing that's there in your life. Every day. And all of a sudden it's not there. Trust becomes your deepest issue. When the thing you usually depend on is gone. When the thing you usually depend on is gone. What will you depend on then? Yourself? Or will you run to the Bible and lean on the promises of God's Word. That's what Jesus does here. He has no food for comfort, so he leans on God's Word for it. My hope is that we would be that kind of church. That we would lean, listen, that we would lean on God's Word that you would be the kind of student, the kind of adult, the kind of college kid That would lean on, that would need God's word to survive. Look at me. Not just as something extra. No, 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 no. I need this. Not just this is the thing that I'm going to read when I'm having a good day and I'm comfortable. No, no. I need this. You need food to live. You need comfort to live. Not to truly live, though. Not to truly live. Temptation number two. Temptation number two, verses five through seven. Then the devil took Jesus into the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said to him, if you are the... There it is. Look, look at the common thread here. If you are the son of God, this is what he's, this is his point. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, jump off the building, for it is written... He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. In other words, the angels will catch you. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan is catching on to Jesus' method here, right? The devil is not foolish. Jesus uses the Bible... To refute the first temptation. If Jesus is going to use the Bible to fight temptation, then Satan will use the Bible to tempt Jesus. Now you're not going to go anywhere. Alright, Bible 101, for those of you who are a little bit younger. And help me out, old old folks back here, my college kids, right? If you see something in the New Testament that is written in all caps, that means it is quoting from where? Old the Old Testament. If you see something, and again, that's just this one's for free. If you see something in the New Testament that's in all caps or in bold, it's quoting from the Old Testament. Satan is quoting straight from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. That's what he's pulling this out here. Psalm 91, 11 through 12. Now listen, this is so important. It's scary how often people read their Bible like the devil does here. It's scary how often people read their Bible like the devil does here. He says the words exactly right, but he stretches the verse outside of its meaning and outside of his context to make the verse say whatever he wants it to. And we do this all the time. And sometimes it's not intentional. Like um, God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you read the book of Job lately? Okay. That, that verse is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and it's about temptation. It's not so much about circumstances here. But some people can be, um, oh, I can't remember who said it. Someone way, way better at this said, um, he said it like this. He was like, some people can be so obsessed with holiness that it becomes legalism. And there's no room for grace They're preaching the Bible while they're dead in their behavior. And some people can become so obsessed with grace that there's no room for holiness. And so they're lost in their sins while they're preaching the Bible. We take it and we twist it. You've got to do, you've got to do, and I know it looks ha-ha, whatever, but you've got to take the Bible and do this with it. You've got to put your mind, your soul, your wants, your thoughts, your social media under this word. Whatever this says is where I go to first. And if I feel like this isn't true, I have to use the strength of myself and my friends to lift this word above me, above how I feel. And that's when change begins to take place. I used this example a long time ago. If you're digging in your front yard, because what I, you're just really bored, right? So you're digging in your front yard... And, and you hit something that's so solid that your shovel can't get through it. When that happens in the Bible, when you're digging through Scripture and you're trying to figure this out, right? And you hit a verse that you just can't get around. This is too hard for the shovel of your mind to get through. You haven't hit a wall, you've found a diamond. That's why it's so hard. And when you finally get that thing out, you're going to see how worth that is. How high of value that is. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with that? You have to, yes, right. You have to take this word and put it under your life. And I just wonder for some of you, have you ever remember we talked last night about how awesome God is? And I just wonder for some of you, have you ever seen God's word as so wonderful that you're willing to put what you believe about marriage under it? What you believe about what happens in the womb under it? What you believe about gender under under it have you seen his word is so wonderful have you seen it the way jesus saw in the first temptation i need this you won't do that if you take you we take our lives and we put them into the bible it's not how it works the bible is supposed to impact us begin this exercise as you start to get in this take the bible and put it over your life. Okay, end of sermon. Now we're getting into the back to the sermon. Here we go. Um, now this is this is kind of a weird let me say this too. <laughs> Look out for this as you get older. It is so easy to see a clip of some fool in on Instagram, some pastor moron who's just talking about stuff that is not applicable, that makes no sense, that's all about your Best life now, let me tell you, this. John MacArthur says this, the only way you're living your best life now is if you're going to hell. Do you follow that? The only way this is the best for you is if what's coming after is terrible. As a Christian, this is not your best life. I'm not trying to attack Joel Osteen over and over again because there are so many more people like him, Some, whatever, it, it, secrets out, I don't know, Um There are so many charlatan fools out there, and I'm terrified because I can't reach into your phones and see what all you get. Not that you look at sermons all the time on your phones. I hope you do a little bit, some on Instagram. But I'm just, I don't want you to look at some moron in $700 sneakers who calls himself a servant of the Lord preaching about how God wants this and this and this for you. God wants you to look like his son, God wants you to follow his son, and the rest will fall into place. Look out for this as you get older. Look out for this on your phones. Now, this is a weird temptation at first glance, right? Satan says, throw yourself off the building. Why on earth would he do this? this, is not, this I don't think Jesus is really feeling the pull here to jump off the building, right? So here's, here's where we are. It doesn't have to do so much with that. It has to do with where they are. Notice, Satan didn't just ask him to jump off a cliff in the desert. He takes him somewhere first and then asks him. Verse 5. Back to verse 5. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him to jump off. So in verse 5 it says the holy city. We learn from Luke's account. This is Jerusalem. This is Israel's original capital city before Samaria. Samaria. And it's, on, and it's at the temple. The temple was the center of all of Jewish life. Everyone would see when this happened. This is, this is the most important place in their culture. And he takes them there. And it's a city filled with Jewish people under Roman rule waiting for their Messiah. Waiting for Jesus to save them. But Jesus knows tragically that most of Jerusalem will kill him when the time comes. Some of the people walking below may have been the same crowd that chanted crucify him, crucify him three years later. Right down the road from where they're standing. But if they saw him do this. If they saw him put on a show, announce himself, jump down from the temple, and have his angels, he is the son of God, have his angels catch him in front of all the people, in front of all these Jews who have been waiting on him, in front of the temple, he'd never have to preach another sermon. They'd line up to serve him and cheer for him. Now, you got to understand, right? This is a deep theological truth. People are weird, okay? We're weird. I'm weird, right? I don't know if the secret's out on that one, right? We're, we're happy one moment, and we're angry the next. Not that that's any of you, right? We overcommit to stuff, and then we way undercommit the next time. Not that that's any of you, right? We're overdramatic about some things, and then the important stuff, we don't care about it at all. People are frustrating, but but they put on their best behavior for a rock star, For the cool kid at the table. They'll cover up their mess. They'll put on their best behavior for the star. And Jesus can have all of that. If he'll do this. If he'll just put on a show. And so many churches try to do this. Uh, 2017, the last time we were here. um, We were on our way to the worship classroom. And there's this nasty Rihanna song blaring from around here. And I, Kristen and I realized it wasn't coming from the beach. It was coming from the other worship classroom as the students were coming in. Because it's way easier to be a rock star than it is to be a Christian for a while. Verse 7. Verse 7. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus quotes back to him, Deuteronomy 6.16, which is when... Israel was tested in the desert. And so they tested God because they did not believe he was with them. And now Jesus is in the desert and he won't test God because he trusts God. And he didn't come to impress people. He came to save them. Temptation number three, verses eight through ten. Again. The devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, all of this I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. It seems like Satan is getting desperate here, right? Right. He's not trying to hide anything. He's not trying to twist the Bible and sneak his words in there. Jesus is not going to bow down and worship the devil. But that's not the point. Do you know the point of this temptation? You are the point of this temptation. Verse 8. All the kingdoms of the world. It's not the buildings. Kingdoms are full of people who worship. Revelation tells us that one day all people will bow to Jesus. They will worship him. Because of what he did on the cross, Christ is worthy of all of our worship. And here, Satan is offering all the people's worship to Jesus and he doesn't have to to go to the cross. These people who made fun of Jesus on the cross, that's why Jesus gets a crown of thorns at the crucifixion. That's why he gets a purple robe. Purple is the color of royalty. They're making fun of him. These confused, frustrating, broken people, he won't have to die for them. He won't have to get made fun, he, he, won't, he won't get made fun of by them while his mother is weeping at the cross. And Jesus looks at him and says, Verse 10, Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan is saying, I'll give you all their worship right now. You can have all the glory and you don't have to die for them. You can get all the glory and you don't have to die for it. And Jesus, who deserves more glory than anyone, says, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's not about my glory right now. It's about my Father's glory. And he will get so much more glory by saving these people. Impressing people brings no glory to God. God wants people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's a fancy way of saying for real. He wants you to worship Him when you're by yourself. He wants you to worship Him when you're not impressive. And then Satan is saying, I'm offering you everything. All the kingdoms of the world. All the All the influence of the world I'm giving to you. These people are going to make fun of you and kill you. Martin Luther says this. The only thing. So now think about this. Satan's offering him everything. And Jesus doesn't look at these people and say, they're so awesome. I'm going to die for them. These people are going to make fun of Jesus and kill him. Martin Luther says the only thing you contribute to your salvation is your sin. That's what you bring to the table, is your permanent record. Nobody wants me to put their thoughts on, this, on the screen, right? That's what you bring to your salvation. We offer Jesus nothing. We killed him. The only thing you contribute to your salvation is your sin. And Jesus Christ willingly looks at you, looks at all the kingdoms of the world in a pain-free life, And he chooses you instead. He chose to be tired. He chose to be tempted. He chose to be hungry. He chose to be lonely. He chose to be like you and me. So that he could save you and me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. What does that mean? This is what that means. This is the person you have been looking for your entire life. And you say, looking for him. What do you mean, looking for him? Every time, now now listen to the words that I'm going to say. Every time you turn on the TV, you are looking for Jesus. Every time you look at pornography, you are looking for Jesus. Jesus. Every time you hate that you are single, every time you are crippled with anxiety, you are looking for Jesus. Ray Ortland wrote a book called Marriage and the Mystery of the Gospel. I highly recommend it high school, middle school, not right now, obviously. All right. Um, But he wrote this, and listen to what he says. Anytime a man walks into a brothel, it is Jesus that he is looking for. You are searching in all the wrong places for a perfect love that never ends. And it's only found in Christ. Remember last night, the woman at the well, she came with this empty bucket looking for water, doing what came natural, doing what she's always done, doing what's always given her life. And she leaves it behind. I wonder what you'll leave this week. Jesus Christ traded glory for pain. He traded endless worship for hunger and exhaustion so that he could come to get you. He is the perfect person who loves you perfectly in a way that will never end. And he traded heaven for hunger so that he could come and get you. And I just wonder where you are this week. I wonder if you've, if you've ever thought about Jesus like that. This guy who has come, who can give you everything you've ever asked for. Now think about this. Who can fill your heart in a way that everything you ever wanted could not do. Only Jesus can. Who changes your heart in a way that only Jesus can do. And he is, he literally died so that he could come to get you. That is the coolest thing I have ever heard in my entire life. If that's for real, if that's true, that is the coolest thing I have ever heard in my entire life. And it'll change the way you look at relationships, it'll change the way you look at. Television and fun and your own body and your insecurities and your school and your accomplishments. Not all at once, but it will begin to work in your soul. It's a new person. This is how the new birth happens. This is how you get saved. How do I get saved? This is how you get saved. God Almighty looks at you and the sun starts shining on you. And the way the sun changes your skin, He does that to your soul. He changes it. He molds it. And He creates in your heart a desire for Him that used to not be there. That's the key. That's what He does. That's who He is. And He trades all of this to go toe-to-toe with Satan so that he could come and get you. Let's pray together.